when I was at the pastor's meetings this week, one of the pastors asked, what have you been preaching on? I said, the school of hard knocks. He looked at me kind of funny and he says, oh, I'm still graduating from there. I think we all go through those schools sometimes and we wonder if we'll ever get through. And then what's all the purpose of it? But then sometimes we begin to discover that God allows us to go through these situations because he's revealing to us that we're out of control, but he's in control. You're going to adjust that, I hope. Back in the days of Elisha the prophet, something terrible happened to God's people. Something terrible happened here. Man. There's the sermon. <laughs> you can all go home now. The city of Samaria was, was besieged by the Syrian army. Uh, this had been a long buildup of arguments and everything that had taken place. But this siege was a little bit different than any other time before because they not only the armies not only surrounded the city, but they cut off all the food supplies coming in. And things began to get a little tough for God's people. And uh, they began to get a little desperate what was taking place. In the book, Prophets and Kings... Not a lot is said, but what is said is that because of this siege, they think that it probably lasted for many years. Just wasn't just a few days. Lasted for a few years and it caused a famine of great proportion to take place. And God's people inside that city were literally starving. It was pretty rough on them. And they began to do things that uh, maybe you and I would never think that we would ever do. Every man, woman, and child were trying to find some way in order to live each day. Look what the Bible says in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and one-fourth of a cab, which is a pint, a cab is a pint, one-fourth of a pint of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Things were so bad that people were actually buying donkey's heads to cook and to eat. How much meat would be on a donkey's head? Not much. And they were paying huge prices 
just to be able to eat the donkey's head. What's worse, they used dove droppings for food. They were paying huge sums of money for donkey's heads and bird poo. Now they knew the donkey meat was considered unclean food according to God's Word. But these were desperate situations and they just figure, you know, we can bend the rules because we've got to live. But to eat bird poo? It must have been a crisis beyond belief. They knew there was no nutrition in it, but they were doing everything possible to keep their families alive. Back in Moses' time, Moses made a a strange prediction that was going to happen to God's people, and I think everybody thought that Moses was crazy. And it didn't happen at that time, but it happened later on and was fulfilled, and we see it in 2 Kings 6, verses 28 and 29. Then the king, that's the king that's inside the city, said to one of the women that was there, What's troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give me, give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. Now you see why we're not having potluck today? Can you imagine, in order to survive in the midst of a famine, they were eating their children, donkey's heads, bird droppings, and children for food. Who would have ever thought that God's people would stoop so low as to eat these things? because they were desperate. And they would do just about anything, even going against God's ways, in order to survive. Are we any different? We're under a siege. Satan has captured the world. There's problems all around us. Pressures that will cause us to do something that we would normally never do. Sicknesses. And I'm not talking just about physical illness. Mental sickness, mental anguish is taking place. And it's happening even in God's people. Satan is blockading us with all these problems and pressures and sicknesses and pain and and not just a little pain, but terrific pain. And how do you survive in a world? Many times we have to begin to sacrifice something. We begin to sacrifice our family life and our spiritual life. There's just not enough time in the day to do everything So we allow worry, depression, and pain to crowd out the necessities 
of a good life. It doesn't happen all at once, but it takes time, and it's just bits and pieces that begins to erode away our spiritual life and our family time. We start starving for attention and relief from our problems, and we begin a search for something to fill our inner needs and our desires. We need something to cope in life itself. Things to, to help us to get through. So in order to survive, we turn away from God many a times and the activities we once used to do in the church and we turn to the outside world for fulfillment. No wonder we're starving. We're starving for, for fun and excitement because the pressures are too great. We need to forget our problems. So we fall into the trap of taking drugs, either prescription or non-prescription drugs. Alcohol gives a moment of, of fun, but most of all it gives us a moment of relief from the pain. Tobacco and other chemicals that we smoke and we snort relieves the stress of everyday life. Immorality brings excitement and into a dull world by stimulating our senses beyond belief. And don't think that it doesn't happen to God's people. It's happening in our churches today because we're trying to cope. But in the midst of all this chaos, God has given us a wonderful story to help us. 2 Kings 7, verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. That's outside the city of Samaria. Samaria. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? These men knew they were plagued with the sin of leprosy. And they too were starving just like God's people inside the gates were starving. They couldn't enter into the city gate, into the presence of the family of God, because they would be killed, because they have leprosy. And it's God punishing them. So you are contaminated with sin, so we don't want you in our church. And so they can't come in. And then outside, well, outside is the enemy. And the enemy is out there. And the enemy doesn't want to help them. So they'll be killed out there. So what are you supposed to do? It seems strange what they decided to do. But they reasoned everything out. And they decided, you know, it just might be easier to leave the church and the children of God and go out into the world. They don't care about me. They don't want me. So I'm going to leave the church and I'm going to go out. The world seemed to offer more to them, more hope, even though it was little, than the church. And so they left God's congregation and they walked right into the world. Isn't that happening today? Do you know what they discovered in the world? The grace of God. Well, what do you mean? You see, God's not out of control. He used this situation 
that they found themselves in seems like it's hopeless, seems like it's helpless, seems like they're going to die, so they might as well die having fun or doing whatever. Maybe they can hide from their problems. But God used this to help them. 2 Kings 7, verses 5 through 8. And they rose at twilight, before the sun came up, to go to the camp of the Syrians, the enemy. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord, now listen, it's the Lord, no one else. It wasn't the people in the city. It's the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear, they didn't see it, they heard it, hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. You know what's strange? There was no army that was attacking. This was God. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, and lo and behold, they ate and they drank and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. By the grace of God, they discovered everything they needed right there in front of them. Food, clothing, money, and most of all, life. God had already provided a way of escape from their problems. It wasn't anything like the lepers had imagined would happen to them, nor was it in their plan to be so richly rewarded. It just happened that way. It was all because of the grace of God, and they discovered that grace, and they discovered the power of God to fulfill all of their needs, and they no longer had to look for it. Their whole life was changed. The church didn't change them. The world didn't change them. The church and the world made them worse and made them afraid. But the situation was, I'm going to die anyway, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And God says, now I've got you where I want you. I'm going to change your life. And a great miracle took place. They discovered the grace and the power of God in their lives. I've been telling you that we have some sitting right here in church who discovered the grace of God. And I have asked them begged them, pleaded with them. Because they don't necessarily like to come up front here. And they're a little nervous, so don't look at them. But they're going to 
share with us the problem, how they tried to handle the problem, and how they discovered the grace of God and how it's changed their life. So I'm going to ask first Karen, now don't look at her, Karen Alvarez to come up here and she's going to share with us what has recently taken place within her life. Okay, last night when I was trying to get ready for this, I thought it's easier for me to express myself on paper, especially if I'm nervous. So I'm going to read it. Last night as I prayed, I asked God to help me to write what is hard for me to say. The order of what I'm going to say concerns me more than anything else because the last thing I want to do is to offend anyone. I'm led to start with what is so awesome that was given to me by God's awesome grace. He has given me victory over cigarettes. I have fought to quit on my own power for the last eight years and failed over and over. I have heard and recited this scripture for the last eight years as well. To be honest, this scripture was given to me again for someone else, but it hit home to me. The scripture is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Finally, the light came on and the who clicked on. I sat in my recliner in amazement at the message I had really finally received. So I got up after a while, really thinking about it, to be honest. I kept thinking the who, who, he's the who. Not me. Him. By God's grace, excuse me, I got up and I went into my bedroom and I had eight packages of cigarettes left because I had bought in a carton which contained ten. And I took each one and I broke each one and trashed them. By God's grace, I'm smoke free, no more guilt, no more self condemnation, but set free by His grace, love, and goodness. I can now say, he did it for me. Was it easy? This time, yes. This time was easy. Why did? It, why was it easier this time? Because I put it in his entire hands because of the who. The other times before, she was doing it on her My power own. and oh, failed. Mm-hmm. I have a young son uh, who has problems also, but he told me that he'd been praying for me for five years, which I didn't know, to quit. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And leave with you as my family of God is this. If you know someone who has a problem, lift them up with words of encouragement and prayer. Show them that they are loved and accepted just as they are, as Jesus does us. I have been blessed by this church in this way. However, my past experience was not like this. I left, and it left a heavy burden to quit on my own, and it made it so much harder. I'm so grateful to you all for being a loving and caring people. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Karen.
And I only heard her knees knock twice. What was the key? It was God. The grace of God. It was looking at Scripture, but this time she focused on the the word who. And she knew that she had tried it before in her own power and it didn't work. But it's God that helped her overcome the problem. Now, the other thing was she had someone share Scripture and prayer. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we as a church get so caught up in our own problems, trying to cope in our own everyday life, that we crowd out the people from the church who are looking for the who of Jesus Christ. And we can help them discover the grace if we are willing to be able to share with them and, and to be praying for them. Don't push them out like the lepers to where they're afraid to come into the church to be able to get help. We are the family of God together. We have to help each other. Okay, and I asked Susie, Susie Beetham, to be able to share with us. Susie's not quite so bashful, but she's going to share with us. You told me I had 10 minutes, right? I'm going to time you. All right. I was going to bring a timer. Good morning. This is a real privilege to be speaking in my church that I grew up in. I was baptized right behind me here. And uh, I think my testimony will come as quite a shock to a lot of you that have known me since I've been about yay high. Um, Let me take a deep breath here before I go into it. Take a deep breath. I have 10 minutes. Okay. I'll give you 11. By the grace of God. Maybe 12. Maybe 12. All right. Um, I grew up here. I grew up as an Adventist. I was baptized at the age of 10 years old, right by, right behind here, in, uh, by Pastor Ben Zatian. And uh, I think about uh, 13, I started to fall by the wayside. I stopped coming to this church, stopped keeping the Sabbath, and I became by the age of 17 a mother. I was a very young mother and became a drug addict by the time I was 18. Um, I was hooked on methamphetamines for about two years, and other drugs is cocaine, ecstasy. Uh, I think I used heroin once. Uh, marijuana, of course, was a daily thing. Alcohol was washed down with all of this. Um, could probably say that if it wasn't for the grace of God, uh, my liver should have well gone given out by this time. I was using, in one particular point, I think I used about $20,000 worth of methamphetamines in a two-month time period. I was selling narcotics, uh, check fraud, and other uh, criminal activity. Uh, This happened up until about the time I was 21. I looked like a nice, innocent girl, but I had everybody fooled. Um, I needed God's grace more than anything, and I would kind of had made notes, but I'm realizing I'm not using any of them. I suffered, also had given myself up to the occult. I was uh, speaking with Satan on a daily basis, ripping pages out of the Bible and uh, using it as joint paper, and uh, had some supernatural experiences where I had seen and spoken with people that weren't there. I was hallucinating, using hallucinogenic, spending nights in the graveyard. If there ever was somebody who was the demons of the Gadarean that you could apply that story to their life, 
that would be me. I was cutting myself suicidal and had bladed myself in uh, mental wards as 5150. Um, I should be dead at this point. I have overdosed on doses of lithium depakote and other um, mental um, drugs that they give you, uh, saved up bottles with in the intention to do myself in permanently. Uh, I basically have had, I think, did I have, the paramedics were frequently up at the home, the police were, and um, that between trying to kill myself and putting myself in positions with other drug dealers because I was buying with such high quantity from getting an annuity payment from my father's death with thousands and thousands of dollars, I wasn't going to street dealers anymore. I was going to the people at the top with $5,000, $10,000 and buying methamphetamines. I was surrounded by people in San Bernardino who were gangsters and I was the little girl coming in with this much money, my angels must have been huge. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I should not be standing here today. What makes an Adventist girl go wrong? Um, I was raised an Adventist. I've been taught the truth. I knew the truth. I knew what I was supposed to do. And I knew this whole time what was right and what was wrong. The experience of grace, a true experience with Christ, I had no idea what it meant to be converted. And even when I converted my life and come back to the church and come back here, I think some of you might remember going door to door with Jim Dickinson and Dennis Partain. At that particular time, I was experiencing religion. I knew what the truth was and I was going to preach it because I was changed. Even since then, I have experienced a complete turnaround in my faith because I realized, yes, we have the truth. Yes, we have religion. We have, as the Adventists, we have Bible truth. We have the message of the love of Christ. But I had not yet experienced what it meant to be loved. What the truth really is, is Christ's love and acceptance. And this church, if you're lonely, if you're on drugs, this is where you belong. If you're struggling with immorality, this is where you belong. If you're struggling with cigarettes, this is where you belong. And I would like to offer and extend to you that all of us should be treating each other as Christ would treat each. We, we should be treating each other as Jesus would treat each other. And if a hooker or a drug addict or a gangster comes into this sanctuary, we should see them as Christ sees them. Because how many times could I have come in to a church and if somebody had wrapped their arms around me, I could have melted at that particular time. I was seeking, I was seeking for love and acceptance. And I was on the, a path that the devil had me set on. I was rebaptized last summer. And I had an, a real experience with Christ and anointed for ministry because I believe that's where Christ is leading me at this particular point in my life. And until the day I see Christ come in the clouds, I will not, I will not go down to the grave without fighting the good fight of faith. And this is because of grace, because God loves each and every one of us. And I would like to extend an invitation tonight at 5.30. We're having a sing-along of Vespers. If you're struggling, if you're lonely, if you're suffering in any way, please come so we can love you. She was depleted 
inside and desperately looking for something to fill that void. And a lot of times for our young people, and some of you know what we're talking about because your young ones did the same thing, turn to the world to try to fill that void. Now, I have seen individuals who have been on methamphetamine, and today their brain is fried to where they can hardly even think their next thought. And by the grace of God, we have Susie that is here that not only is thinking clearly, but she's using those thoughts to be able to reach out to others to be able to help them. Isn't the grace of God tremendous? I mean, to take someone who has tried so many years to stop something, and the grace of God says, I'll handle it, just give it to me, and boom, it's gone. And to have someone who has who is spent thousands of dollars looking for some type of excitement and hope and something in her life or to cover up the pain of her life and the grace of God comes in and changes all that around. I mean, that that's just not coincidence. God wants to do that for all of us. Now, the most recent one, if you remember a few weeks ago, I had mentioned the fact that there had been a tremendous miracle that had taken place within this church, and I couldn't share. Some people ask me, what is it? I want to know. What is it? And I said, I can't tell you yet. I can't tell you. But now, I'm not going to tell you, but Stephanie's going to tell you, and I'm going to have Stephanie come up here. She is the miracle, and uh, we're going to see what happened in Stephanie's life. Are you nervous, too? Um, I first got prayed for when I was nine years old. I was in my parents' van before we were going to go to church. And I was the only one in the van because I was the only one that was ready. And I started seeing my dad because my dad died when I was four years old. I saw my dad, and he came up to me, and he was asking me for help. And then I saw a little boy on a tricycle who was half burned. And then I started seeing more and more, and I couldn't get out of the van no matter how hard I tried. I Let tried me stop here. When she's saying she's seen these things, if you and I were there, we wouldn't see them. So now you know what we're talking about? She's seeing people who are not there for you and I to see. Okay, continue on. So when my parents came out, I told them, and they told our pastor, and he prayed for me, and he got the elders, and they prayed for me. And it stopped, I stopped, they stopped coming, I stopped seeing him for a while, and then they started coming back. But instead of praying and asking for help, I started doing things to distract myself. Um, just a few months ago, I cut myself on a daily basis. I would listen to music, I wouldn't talk to anybody, I just sit in my room, listen to a certain group, you know, and that, that was all I wanted to do. And I talked to my mom about it, and I started going more towards Christ, stopped listening to that type of music, and tried to stop cutting myself. And then my mom called the pastor, and we talked to the pastor, 
and we told him what was happening. So that's why he had that sermon and told everybody that about all that. So then he, me and Susie, we meet up and we have a youth group type of thing going on in my house, and we talk about it and we talk about all this stuff, but. I just, I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, God's always there. A lot of us shut him out because we're scared and we want to find another way, but he's always there for you, no matter what. I turned my back on him completely. I went to the point where I was basically cursing him, telling him, it's all your fault, that everything's going wrong. But I, I now know that he was there waiting for me to ask him for help. Instead of asking him for help, I was blaming him for all the things that were going wrong with me. I was blaming him for my father dying. I was blaming him for my family falling apart. I was saying, everything's your fault. But really, it wasn't. I just needed to ask him for help. Let me fill in a few little spots. You did a beautiful job, Stephanie. When her mother called me and I talked to Stephanie on the phone, Stephanie was back seeing these apparitions again. Little little child, little boy child, and other things as well. Scared her mother to death. And uh, she was back listening to her music. Now when we're talking about music, we're talking about uh, not very nice music in a lot of the words. And uh, it was a bad scene. Um, when I talked to her on the phone, I said, Stephanie, you know, what are you reading or what are you watching? And she was watching a lot of movies, a lot of Harry Potter movies. Remember when I talked about Harry Potter? And I said, Stephanie, here's the problem. She said she was trying to do all these things to block it out, and she would listen to certain music to block out her thoughts and everything else. I said, Stephanie, this is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And it was already worse from what it was the first time that she had it in her younger years. And I asked her a question that Jesus sometimes asked individuals. Do you really want this to stop? Because it wouldn't work if she didn't want it to stop. Right? Come on up. Might as well let the mother in. I think her nerves took over and she left a lot of details that I, I want our young people to hear. Um, I, Stephanie reads like books are going to be out of style. She reads constantly. She reads thick books. And in two days she'll read a book this thick. I mean, she just loves to read. But she was reading vampire stories, anything to do with witches, um, fairies, everything like that. And her drawings, repre- she's a drawer too, and all her drawings represented something dark in him. And so um, I was glad she was reading. I was very ignorant about it at first because I'm like, oh, my daughter loves to read great. But she didn't want to read social studies books, history books, nothing to do with school. She just wanted to get all the dark stuff in. And so um, a lot of our kids fall for that. They just want to read something that's really exciting and different and interesting. But there's something dark in there that will get them. And I, I'm not joking. It will get them because they got her. I've experienced these things with her. Um, one of the times when 
Um, I was downstairs and she said, Mom, pray with me. Pray with me. I'm seeing it. And I'm like, what are you seeing? I'm seeing something. It's something. So I prayed with her. We held hands. And um, while we were praying, this presence or whatever it was just shook us. Just We, was, we just shook. And I went, oh! and she went, she did the same thing, but we didn't stop. We kept on praying, and it was really, really scary. What did you say? Yeah, she almost like passed out for a minute, but I pulled her, and we kept going. And um, there were two people from Mexico that came to our house that day, my brother-in-law and his brother. And we were downstairs that same night, and I told them about it because they said, what's going on? You guys are really nervous. And I said, it, we, we feel what's going on. And people think you're, like, loony. You know, like, what is wrong with them? I don't see anything. Well, sometimes you don't need to see. You just feel it. But all this stuff is brought in because you allow it to come in. You know, you with the music she was listening to, the book she was reading. And I would tell her, Stephanie, look, these are the good books you need to read. And I would give her the stories of the Bible, Max, you know, written by Maxwell. And she's like, okay, Mom, that's really boring. I'm like, no, honey, you really need to read this. And then we went to ABC bookstore. She found in the whole bookstore, she found one book she wanted to read. Just one. She's like, this is not exciting. And so we need to work as parents to keep our kids exciting about God. Somehow we need to do it. We need to pray for knowledge to do it because there's a lot happening out there. It's not church is boring for kids now, you know. It's really boring. Why do I want to go? And now that she gave her little heart to Jesus again, church isn't boring. And she loves it. She, she pushes, Mom, I don't want to be late. 9.30, come on, Mom. We live down the street. How can we be late? This is not an excuse. And so we try to be here on time. And I'm guilty sometimes because I oversleep or whatever. But I want you guys to know she's driving me to be here on time now. She's driving me to bring her. And I just... Don't let your kids start into those books. Look, look in their room. Get the books out. And Susie came, and we took her to the room, and she looked at the room, and she said, you know, she started going through the books. We asked her to do that, and she said, this one's still not good. And this one's still, she, Stephanie had already taken a lot of them out, but Susie helped us to really clean. It's amazing when that stuff leaves your house, there's a change. There really is a change, but the change mainly done by God mm-hmm. in your heart. Starts in your heart. Thank you. Now, the miracle was when I asked her, did she really want to get rid of all this stuff? I said, come to the church Sabbath morning and talk to me. If you really want me to pray, I'll have the elders. We'll meet back in the office. We'll pray for you. She came in and we met back in, in the secretary's office and and she says, I, I need help. So I said, okay, after church, meet me back in my office, and I'll get the elders, and we'll meet back there. So we come out on the platform like we normally do for the worship service. And I'm sitting here, I'm saying, Lord, Stephanie needs help, but I think she needs more than just prayer. What is it that you want to take place in Stephanie's life? And Susie's name just popped into my head. And I got up while you guys were singing. And I came over and Susie was sitting over here. And I sat next to her and I asked her if she... And I didn't know Susie's story. 
I asked Susie if she would be willing to help Stephanie and to come in while we have prayer. And she said, I'll be willing to come. And so we met, we all met back there. And I began to tell a little bit of the story of, of uh, Stephanie. And Susie says, that is weird. This is almost exactly like my story. I began to see things. I began to, to hear things. I turned to this music and everything else and nothing. I tried to ignore it and I cut myself and and it was just like that they had both they were twin sisters living the same life. And we had prayer. And I said, Susie, one of the things you're gonna to need to do is you're gonna to need to mentor Stephanie because she's gonna need all the help she can get. And I told Stephanie, call me any time and let's work this thing out. And the Lord really changed Stephanie's life. A few weeks later, I went to Maria and I said, have you seen a change in Stephanie? Because I want to, sometimes, you know, you can fake it here in church and get home and things are totally different. She says, oh, no, I really see a change in her life. A miracle by the grace of God. It was not coincidence that Susie was here that Sabbath. It's not coincidence that God gave me Susie's name in my mind and to go ask her if she would be willing to come and to do this. Let me share with you just a little book that I've been reading. There has been extensive studies because it's not only in our denomination, but it's in all denominations of what's taking place with our young children that are growing up and leaving by leaps and bounds, leaving the church. Saying the church is boring, there's nothing there. By the way, you notice when Stephanie changed, she thought the church changed. We haven't changed. She changed. But it's boring and everything else. In the studies, they're beginning to discover this. From cradle roll to age 13, two things are formed in the children. Morality and the knowledge of the grace of Christ. If they do not have that, if it's not there by age 13, they drop out of church. You remember what age Susie said she dropped out of church? Age 13. I have always said, and I still maintain it, when we nominate our church leaders, the most important leaders this church could ever look for are leaders with our children from cradle roll on up. Because they have, they're facing the battle line of Satan himself to reach the minds of these individuals. And they need to learn, and this is the place they need to learn, is about these things. Because if they don't get it by age 13, many of them will never get it again. That's according to the statistics. 
And yet we spend most of our money on evangelism of adults. Most of them are adults who are already in another church. We should be spending a lot of our money in evangelizing our children. We're neglecting our children. We're closing the gates, the doors of the church to the very ones that are the life of our church. Teachers need to be there if you've got a talent for teaching young children. You better be there because God is asking you to do it, not the church. The devil doesn't want you to do it. They want your children to fail because they know that by age 13 they'll be out the door and most of them will never come back again. And they'll live a life of drugs and rock music and alcohol and immorality of every sort and, and candor that you could ever think of. They could be the nicest people in the church, like Susie said. Everybody in the church thought I was the nice girl. They just didn't know what was really going on within the life. And we need to reach out to them. Now, I've got a challenge for these individuals and a challenge for us when we discover the grace of God. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 9. These are these lepers. Remember, they discovered all the food and riches and everything else. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. You know where the king's household was? It was back in the city. And what are happening to them? They're starving. And here are the lepers that are sitting out here. It was cast out, sitting there, and they've got all this food and all these riches, and the enemy's gone. Don't have to worry about the enemy. And they says, look, this is not right. God has shown us his grace and now because of His grace, He wants us to go and tell others. We cannot keep it quiet. That's what I asked them to come. They've got a ministry now. And this ministry is to be able to share their word with other individuals who are looking and seeking exactly for what they look for and they were seeking. And they found it. People are looking for others to say to them, I know how to get from the sewer to the kingdom of God. And it's by God's grace and by His prayer. And we'll help you and we'll encourage you. Stephanie says, God wants me to be a missionary. I think so. Now she may not go to... Africa or New Guinea or Antarctica or any place like that. She may be the missionary right here. 
we're going to see what we can do to be able to help her to be that missionary, to learn, to be able to how to share. Now, brothers and sisters, the reason why I bring this is the fact that God's people weren't any better off than these individuals that were lost in the world. They just cover it up more. And they still say, oh, we still believe in God. And they come in and they go to church and they seem to do the right things until they go home and they cover up a multitude of sins and they're feeling so guilty and they're feeling so helpless and they hurt so bad and they're seeking something from within side that they don't know what it is, but they're going to find it and they're looking at all the wrong places. And still they say, I'm one of God's people. When in reality, what they need is the grace of Jesus Christ, who's available, which is available to anyone who really desires to have it. And he's trying every opportunity he can to reveal his grace to each and every one of you. So you finally can say, oh, why didn't I learn that a long time ago? Some of you are lost. And you know it. And you've tried everything possible to be able to save yourself. Only digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into your grave. And there comes a point that if you don't discover the grace that you are going to lose it all. And we're talking about eternal life. Or it may affect your children or your grandchildren, and they may lose it all. Can you afford to allow that to take place? What I want to do is I want us to take our hymnals. That famous hymn again, we started it out on the series Amazing Grace. I want to sing Amazing Grace. But I want this to be a little different. This not only is Amazing Grace, but this is also a call for individuals who really, really want to have me pray for them to seek the grace of Christ. I want you to come forward as we're singing and we're going to pray together. Hymn number 108, Amazing Grace. Should we stand? Twas grace that taught my to help you just to greet the people.
grace of God is working this morning. The grace of God. Maybe there's someone that's here that's struggling maybe with drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or, or uh, immorality or, or just personal financial struggles. Or, and you just, you just need the prayer. I want you to come. Here's a, a Bible promise for you. Found in Proverbs uh, 16, verse 3. It says, commit your works, but I want to put the word life. Commit your life to the Lord. And your thoughts will be established. Do you know what that means? Peace of mind. Peace of mind. If you're willing to commit to the God of grace, He already has for you peace of mind. I don't care how long you've lived that life of sin. I don't care what you're struggling with or how hard it's been to even try to stop or to change your life. You can't do it on your own. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, He not only will give you peace of mind, but He gives you the power, the strength that we talked about that can change your life. Man, we've got to live it in this world today. It's the only way we're going to be able to exist. So I want these individuals here as far as possible, if you can, to kneel. The rest of you, I want you to kneel as well too as we pray for these individuals. If you can't, just sit Back here on the pews, if you can, if you can't kneel. We just want to pray with you and for you. Because Christ is on your side right now. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father. What a miracle has taken place again today. It's not because of the church or the people, it's because of you. You have made your presence known here this morning. Your power is being felt right now. The weak have come to kneel before you right now, saying, Lord, we're ready to commit ourselves to you. Establish our thoughts, our thought patterns. Give to us a new way of life that is your way because we're going to follow in your footsteps, not the footsteps of the devil ever again. Bring to us comfort and peace, the strength that surpasses all understanding. We can't understand it at all, but we're going to need it as we give ourselves weak and frail to You. We're leprous with sin. Now supply us with the bounties of heaven. You see each one of these individuals here. You know their struggles. You know what's going on in their life. And you have a way out for them. It's not easy to come up in front of a congregation to do this. 
But this congregation now is willing to reach out in love to each one of these individuals and any sin-sick individual that comes into this church, we're going to show to them the grace of Jesus Christ. Now I pray for our young people. What an awesome task. We've got people here who are capable of teaching, who have a message and a talent given to them by you. Lord, I pray, I pray that they're willing to use that talent to help us to minister to our growing church family, especially with these youngsters. They are the new life in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the strength to be able to minister to them and to make this church strong. I pray for Karen, for Susie, for Stephanie and their families. Lord, thank you for their ministry. Now give them the courage to reach out and to touch others in the way that you open up to them. And may we do the same as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give you power and strength to overcome every obstacle.